Hey sis, are you FaceTiming me from HomeSense again? Saving money, that's my jam. What do we think? Outdoor dining set or wicker lounge set? Since your signature dish is a margarita, go with lounge. Okay, I am so ready for this party. It's been too long. Wait, go back. Show me those pretty ceramic plates. They're melamine. Even you can't break them. Look, these cute cushions match is my shirt. Is that my shirt? Outfit your outdoors. Have it today at HomeSense. Standout pieces, outstanding prices. Hey, Mike, what are you doing way up on that ladder? You're going to hurt yourself. Oh, I'm trying to unclog these gutters. That's smart. I had water damage from my gutters last year. It cost me ten grand. Yeah, wait, $10,000? Yeah, and from over here, it looks like water's been pouring over your clogged gutters. And it's probably doing real damage to your foundation. You need to do what I did. Get off the ladder and call Leaf Filter. Yeah, but I need to get these gutters flowing now. That's why you need to call Leaf Filter. They'll clean and realign your gutters and install their exclusive micro-mesh screen system so nothing gets in your gutters except water. So Leaf Filter protects my house from damage and means no more gutter cleaning for me? Bingo! Plus Leaf Filter has an industry-leading lifetime warranty, so your gutters are covered for life. Thanks, Frank. I'm calling Leaf Filter today. Don't go another day with your home unprotected. Call 1-844-300-LEAF or go to tryleaffilter.com for your free gutter inspection. Call 1-844-300-LEAF or go to tryleaffilter.com right now for an extra 15% savings. Call 1-844-300-LEAF or go to tryleaffilter.com. That's one 844 Leaf. Hello, how are you today? This is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you from Key Largo. It's back to the hot, beautiful day. We're going to get some nice cooling weather coming our way at night. We're looking we're probably around the highs of 83 in the daytime. The water's great. It's a little windy some of these days, but the weather is fine, and we're still in the thick of it when it comes to spring break and tourist peak season. And we're going to talk about it more, how the transformation occurred. Well, I'm going to talk about it more, because I guess or two halves of my brains are going to be talking to each other. So I try to do both sides on it um it seems as if it's just as you know according to my friends in the hotel industry that the bookings go through april into may and the rates that they're charging for rooms or asking for rooms are a pretty premium right now but it's this you know it's the old adage supply and demand there's not a lot of extra room, so the prices go up. I hope they don't turn people off next year so they won't look for it. But I think with the online aspect of looking for rooms and things like that, uh, the <clears throat> I'm sure people will find out whether they adjust the prices once, once the supply of tourists goes down. Because the, the supply of rooms have, have not really gone up. And whether it's Airbnb or whatever lodging there is, we used to get a lot of people that used to come down here on a spur of the moment without a room. Not so much in peak season. That's kind of crazy to do that because there's not a lot of things. You end, end up having to stay in, in Homestead or Florida City, having to go back up there in the, in peak Especially if you're down here, let's say trying to go to Key West or an Oktoberfest or things like that. 
but we are still it seems as if the snowbirds are heading back north to their homes uh, up there there's a lot of people that are moving buying homes down here as in our market as in anybody else's the the real estate is going through the roof it's a seller's market not a buyer's market there's not a lot of there's not a lot of new houses down here. They're building them because there's permits or the there's going to be a law coming in place with no new permits as it is now in Monroe County will be issued after some date. I don't know if it's 2022 or not. So people will be dealing with that locally. But, you know, the... the I guess people are buying them as vacation homes, hoping to rent them. But you'll find out the mortgage business, eventually the, the, the mortgage rates will go up. And hopefully people aren't going to get screwed because they're paying shitloads of money for property I wouldn't necessarily buy. But I guess people have this expectation that real estate's always going to go up. On the business side of restaurants, they're still coming in. It's great down here. And I know it's different for other people that live in res- uh, different states and things like that, where they're going, what they're doing, how their people habits have changed. There's still lots of people going out, I imagine, but there's a lot of restaurants have closed. So I'm going to call this episode how recently, the last couple of years, we're, it isn't it isn't a new thing seeing apps, seeing Amazon, a new online apps that provide services. Uber, Lyft, Amazon, God, every everyone. And I'm a, but I mean, there's going to be like, uh, there's a SnapDocs one. This is for notarizing. SnapDocs is an online application that has. Where you can get documents certified or find a lawyer and they send out, uh, you join up on this service and they'll send you an assignment and you could choose to take it for, it'll give you a time and a place. Generally, it gives you just like a city. And then they'll tell you tomorrow at 10 a.m., which down here, a lot of people, it's funny, when someone's coming to visit you down here in the Keys, some people think, as if, because we're not like Hawaii, we have those string of islands. We have a string of islands too, but we're connected by a road. And they don't speculate on how. They just see this little skinny thing, and they don't realize how long the keys are. So I'll get an assignment, and I'll say some amount of money, let's say $40, 9 o'clock, Key West. Now, I'm 102 miles from Key West. 102 miles. There's nobody nowadays, maybe 30 years ago, would go 100 miles to make 40 bucks. Maybe 40 years ago. But the the price in the gas itself for 210 miles probably be almost that in your time. So you end up making like it would take you six hours, seven hours round trip if you didn't have to. If it took you no time, you showed up, you signed it, and you came back. But normally some of these things take, these assignments take like an hour. So seven hours divided by 40 and then your price of gas and 
that's a whole day. And what are you going to do after driving 200 miles down here? It's not like driving in Nebraska where you can go like 90 miles an hour on those open roads down in the Keys. If you get, you may be able to do 50, 55 some places. But once you get in the thick of it, it's 35. And if you're stuck in traffic, you're lucky to go five miles an hour. Now, I'm not trying to keep you away. It's just an expectation. And these expectations I get from my relatives when they're either in Key West. I have a niece in Miami, Miami Beach. And she's just paid for it. She reserved this vacation, I guess, a little while ago. And she's there in the middle of spring break. I don't know why. But there during the week, I guess the curfew won't affect her too much. My niece is in her early 30s. And I, if I was in my early 30s, I really wouldn't have a problem with a bunch of college girls and stuff like that. But there's a tendency you feel a little older when you go and you end up, you're in your early 30s and there's a bunch of kids in their teen, late teens and early 20s. And they make you feel older. But she's up there in Miami. She said, why don't you come up and see me? And it was it's 60 miles from, well, it's approximately 27 miles to the mainland. And then... You have another 33 miles to get to Miami Beach, and you're talking about an hour and a half to two hour one way after you find a parking space and all that stuff. And you're going to hang out with someone two hours, and you're going to spend two hours coming back. I know you're putting an equation, a cost, and time on seeing a relative. And you're probably thinking, well, why doesn't your niece come to see you? Well, she just flew into Miami, and they're Ubering it around, so they're not going to be driving. They're not renting a car. Which I understand that. And I guess maybe I have to think about it. Maybe going up to see her tomorrow if I have the time. I have to I have to head up there. I don't think I'm going to do it, but I might do it. I, sh- you know, I have to go and see my dad. He's in Dover. But that's going to be like two, three days. I'll fly up there. But there's always a the thing about running. Someone wants to meet you for lunch. Have friends coming into there this week. They are this week in Key West. I try to explain to them. I say, listen, I understand you're not, you're flying into Key West, but it's a minimum of two and a half hours down and two and a half hours back. And if you spend a couple hours with them and then you're driving back, it's just like, and I don't really drink or anything like that, so I don't have to worry about that. I don't drink. So, that's the thing. Just be mindful when you say the keys. It's like you're going to Hawaii. I'm going to Hawaii. Uh, you're, I'm playing a role. I'm going to Hawaii. And my cousin lives in Hawaii. And I'm going to go there. And they go, well, I'm going to the big island. They're going to be in Oahu. Well, that doesn't mean that's a whole nother island. You either got to take a boat or a plane. Right? It's not a thing. Unless they're in Honolulu. If you're going to Honolulu and they live in Honolulu... Or the Big Island. You're going to Big Island. They're going to Big. I I think the Big Island is Hawaii. I'm not sure. I guess someone could correct me. I know I have uh, some listeners in Hawaii right now. So a shout out to them in Hawaii, and you island dwellers, you spam eaters, there, spam eaters. I I always like spam. I know. I just seen. I didn't know until I saw this movie called Fifty First Dates. That spam was such a big thing in Hawaii. 
especially on breakfast, you know, spam and eggs, spam and pancakes, and all it's all that that was a breakfast thing. I guess processed meats kind of make sense when you're on a tiny island and you don't have a lot of animals for slaughter and grazing. So we're getting meat and all that stuff like sausage and all that shipped there. It's easier to get the canned stuff. But we won't spend any time with that. But that was always a joke uh, from someone when I was a kid, when I was in high school. Did you ever have Polish sausage in the can? Which is kind of homophobic. Get back to the apps. There's so many apps right now for everything. There's match content uh, for dating apps. There's a bunch of dating apps. There's uh, one of the reasons I got into these other side businesses, delivery businesses, and then got out of it was because of apps. I seen them successful in the big cities, but they couldn't make it work in small communities, these delivery services. So I started doing it down here. And then, uh, lucky for me, it just, it would only be busy during the peak season. And it sucked when people would call you out of season when you would only have, you go from like 15 orders a week to go to one order a week. And you don't want to leave your phone's line lines open to do something when you don't have the traffic. It's a dollars and cents issue. You don't make yourself available for something that isn't that much of a high traffic area. So if you, I don't get a lot of orders. I'm not going to, I'm going to take a shift at that time or do something else. So that's where I ended up doing notary work because it's a low cost alternative investment, low investment attorney, you know, just a website. And now they're even getting in on that. There's e-notarization, what you call uh, remote online notarization. Which is kind of funny because, you know, someone's, you got to do something that you wouldn't do. It's like when you're looking at an ID in a bar, you have to take them to take it out of the the display area on the wallet when they have it behind you. You want to look at it. You want to hold it. But on a computer when you're looking at it, how do you, I mean, I guess I got to pass that remote online. And obviously... When you start doing e-notarizations and your apps, the apps are getting a portion of the sales. Just like Uber, Lyft, Instagram, Instagram, Instacart, DoorDash, Grubhub. I I I was putting in the title. I'm going to put Tuber Beats more cash for set for DoorDash and PubSub. You know, maybe pub sub, you could send fish and chips and ale and sub submarine sandwiches. But what these apps do is say they're the contractor or they're the primary contra- uh, the primary contractor, and then they have subcontractors. Subcontractors are the people that work for them. So a lot of people don't understand when it's been a year. And it was in March 2020 when things started shutting down here and the rest of the country. We knew we knew in the late 2019 something was coming. And then we slowly got more infections. And then March rolls around and people started shutting down all over. And a lot of restaurants never recovered from that. How? But there were delivery apps already existing. And it was a perfect opportunity for them. 
Uh, I'm not saying they were opportunistic. They did not plan the pandemic. But if you had, like Uber had the ride-sharing app, and they pivoted a couple years after that to Uber Eats, and then you have Grubhub and all that stuff, and they started pouring tons of money in that to that thing. Uh, you started seeing it prior to the pandemic, Grubhub commercial. Now DoorDash is probably the biggest one, but it, it's weird how in different cities there are different apps that are popular, like Uber Eats has a percentage here in a big city, and or DoorDash or Grubhub. I think they're the three main ones. And now municipalities are instituting restrictions on how much they can commission for food. And this is the thing people don't really understand. Uh, once everything dusts off, when you think of it, everything, when the history is written for this time, and how societal changes came about, how people went to school, how they stopped they were moving away from the brick-and-mortar type retail and started doing more online retail. And a lot of people weren't able to pivot that. Sears, Kmart, for instance. But other ones did a little better, like Target, maybe, and Macy's, maybe. But I don't know how they could really compete anyway. If your department stores have the advantage, you can go and look at things and you can try them on. Uh, but... For convenience and selection, online is the way to go. Same thing with food. But the only problem is that you have to have a primary provider. And with the restaurants, a lot of restaurants knew that there were still, especially these mom and pops, they weren't totally tech integrated. Yes, some of them had POS systems and things like that. They had websites. Some of them did even toy around with online ordering, online reservations, and all these things. But a lot of these restaurants still writ, wrote hand tickets. Still had written hand tickets, meaning in, in ink, and you put them up, and you, that's where you record it. There's a couple restaurants I know down here besides the one I'm in. So to make the conversion for these online apps for delivery, you have to have a order system in place, a POS system, because the orders come in by that way. Online, they come through a little ticker tape and you print out. And for Grubhub, Uber Eats and stuff like that, they have a separate system. You don't let anybody go into your, you wouldn't let a Grubhub get into your POS system, would you? Would you allow an outdoor operator, outside operator do that? No, I don't think so. So they have separate tickets printing out. And that's got to be really confusing when you're open for in-house dining. When you have one ticket printing out one place and one printing from Grubhub. And is there an order for it? And I'll get further into it. Like, you'll see something come in for Grubhub. Are you... As a cook, going to take your time to do that one first if it came in a split second earlier, or the one the in house person where you know the person's in house and you know you're going to make a lion's share of the profits there. And we're going to get break that down how that is. The commission charges that these apps have that's Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub is anywhere from 15 to 40%, if you think about it, once they add delivery charges and things like that. Now, the cost to the 
restaurants are, I think they have a monthly charge for some of them, and then they charge anywhere from, I'm going to go an exaggerated low. I mean, it's, 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 I don't even think they go that low, 10% to a high up to 30% commission on the food before anything's said and done. So if you have a $16 order of, let's say, grilled chicken dinner or $14, whatever you charge, that $4.20 will be, I mean, actually with 30% of that, $4.80 will be taken immediately by that delivery service. And then there's a delivery charge and stuff. And then there's there's back-end costs where the restaurants incur and front-end costs where the person that's ordering gets it. They have a delivery charge. They have this. Uh, and uh, it, it can end up, they said it's up upwards of 58%, the increase in price. An average between uh, 35 and 58%. And... Obviously, as the person is ordering, you have the right to either not accept it or accept it, meaning don't order it. You can order it and pick it up. A lot of people choose to do it where we are. We don't currently work with any of those places, even though they want to get as many local restaurants as possible. Because once you have, you know, 75% of the local restaurants on there, they realize that's where people are going to go. That's going to be the... But then they come down here and we see there are some well-known restaurants that are on one of the delivery apps and they have them, They offer menus on. Sometimes some of these restaurants say they don't even know that they're on there. Now, if they don't know if they're on there, I don't know how they're getting the orders. That means you got to call them in and things like that. I think they may have tried doing that. There's probably a premium charge for that where they... Do the ordering for you through the um, they they place to order themselves, but I haven't had proof of that yet. So this model, when it came about in March, people think, well, there's nobody dining in anymore. Your only choice was delivery. We try to do pickup, you know, takeout. That first day it closed was the day before or day after St. Patrick's Day, 2020. We did not get uh, any, we, we got maybe six, seven orders all day. We ended up closing at four. Just you need a volume for it and stuff like that. In a big city, that may work. And there's a lot of people, if you're going to be in, a lot of people order out. Because they're not, they don't have time to cook. So there's a percentage of people that don't cook at all. So there's just a certain amount of volume that was available. And I saw a story where someone had just opened a restaurant prior to the pandemic. And they were just a couple months open when the pandemic occurred. And they had this restaurant. And they went into cahoots with one of the online apps. And then they realized now that they're not making a profit. I mean, once you get part of your profit away, no questions asked of someone else. That's it. And then you're depending on whether the person who's delivering it is particularly detail-oriented, meaning 
that they drop off the orders in a timely fashion and it's hot and it's not shaken up. A lot of items that you would get, I would anything that has a butter sauce reduction on it, a butter wine sauce, that's a horrible thing to have because it just gets congealed and jelly-like when you get it. After a half hour, it just doesn't sit around too well. And as I said, when they write the history of it, they're going to find out that pizza places and Chinese restaurants probably fared really well because they were packaged and ready for delivery, takeout. But these other apps came about when people say, well, I just don't want to eat pizza or Italian food or, or different Italian food and not all Chinese food. They just want to, they want to try something different. But how many, how the restaurants wanted to increase their gross sales. And they say, well, we went from doing 10% takeout to 75% takeout. And also, of that 75%, you gave away 15 to 25%, 30% of your profit for the food. And you're not making the money on the booze. If you're one of those places that have a liquor license. Right? Dollars and cents, just think about it. Your profit, if you did the same amount of sales the year, the year before, if you were a place that did, let's say you're lucky, you did a million and a half in 2020 prior to pandemic, and then a million and a half post-pandemic, to, from May 1st to May, March 1st to March 1st. And let's say, well, we met up in food. We, we sold a lot more food, but we didn't have, and they had some rules in the beginning in different states you could do a takeout cocktails and stuff, and they started packaging them, stuff like that. But rarely do you get people ordering uh, two or three. You know, people, when you order, you can just order, if you're doing online, why not order a bottle of wine, a bottle of vodka, and make your drink at home? So I imagine even the places that did to-go drinks, they must address dramatically and when you have a bar uh, a full a full bar in your restaurant that is a significant cost because of liability insurance and how much it costs for a license significant investment front upfront investment and when you lose that portion of it and it's also very profitable fountain soda is very profitable tap beer is very profitable you lose that segment of profits now you you're Let's say you had, of that million and a half pre-pandemic, 60% was food and 40% was liquor and drinks, right? Well, then it goes to 90% food. But of that 90%, 70, let's say 75% of it was, of that 90%, because you didn't have in-house dining, was online apps. You gave away 20% of that to 30% of your profit. So you've you've lost easily 25-30% of your profit making the same sales with no additional cost. That's with that your price is going up. And in the end, even with less workers and stuff like that, you don't have to have a floor staff. You still have to have people to put it together. You still got to pay them. And if they're not getting tipped, you're going to have to pay them more hourly. When it comes to restaurant employees, except for back of the house, the front of the house is a bargain. For every three 
three, four, five front of the house employees. They tipped employees. You get one back of the house. That's the cost you get on average. Let's say you you, you could pay them a dollar, two two dollars and fifty cents an hour, three dollars an hour front of the house tipped employee. The, the the money they make is to pay taxes. So you can see how this whole thing works out in the end. You don't have the low cost help. You have the in-house help. You got to pay someone who takes the order a little more because they're not making, because someone who's making $3 an hour isn't going to be taking orders and not getting tipped. And you don't get tipped from Uber Eats or DoorDash or Grubhub. And it's obviously, why would they tip you? They're working too. So all the horror stories you hear are correct for those apps. Just remember, when you're ordering from a place, when you have the opportunity, if you like that food that you order from Grubhub from the restaurant, it's probably twice as good when you get it in-house. Twice as delicious. Twice as hot. Well, hot. It'll be hot. Won't be congealed. You won't have, you know, your shrimp marinara splashed all over the thing, coming out orange, just like a ton of shit. So when we're getting used to doing all these things, doing classrooms, going on dates, that's another thing. People had to have another. I've been reading an article on how people are changing the equations on how they make their decision on dates. Some people are doing Match.com and just doing Zoom dates. No physical contacts. And people that want physical contacts are changing the amount of time they have to spend with someone and the places to go to meet. And because of rules and things like that in some of these states, they had to go directly to into people's residences, like an apartment. This young lady said, and I think it was The Atlantic, she said that she posted to six friends where she was going and took a picture of the guy and sent a picture to the guy and the address and said she would check in with updates just so they would know in case something were happening. Now imagine you had to do that because you weren't sure you were going to be kidnapped or assaulted or murdered. That you felt you had to do it. You needed to uh, to go on a date so bad that you did that. Well, that's being careful. I guess that's good. I don't think it always works for some of the crazy people. It's not the crazier you are, the you know, the more devious they become. So that that dating thing, people will change where to say, well, you know, if you like someone, we're just going to. Sleep with them. They're going to talk with them more. You you have to talk more than you did before because once you go out and you meet for a date, you're in a bar, restaurant. You got things going around. There's distractions. There's looking at a menu and things like that. But when you go to someone's house or you're going to meet them outside on a park bench, which is 25 degrees, and you're all bundled up, you got to get a little. You got to have a little conversation. I've seen some bad online dates where people go on there and, you know, they both looked presentable, but it wasn't necessarily the best visuals for the type of date you really would want to go on. 
talking someone would talk about money, how much money they make and this and that. You see the other person was not impressed. I've uh, seen a friend of mine go on a date with a doctor and he was kind of dismissive to me when he came to the bar, was ignoring me and I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I really didn't feel for that person. And I'm thinking the guy was kind of full of himself and she never went on another date with him or he never went on another date with her. Either one. I mean, she was a nice person, but I, I didn't get the warm and fuzzies for the guys. I guess he didn't have to do that before. Maybe he did. He did. But it was a dinner thing, and he couldn't, he couldn't do it. He sat at, sat at the bar. He didn't know how to talk to people one-on-one. I guess he's used, in, used to being in a, a dominant position. I'm kind of dismissive when someone is dismissive of me. A tit-for-tat. I don't go and get more subservient. If, if someone thinks, and this is on a separate note, if someone thinks adopting a tone, a barking a tone at someone will increase the likelihood that they'll have a more conducive response or get at what they want, they should think again. They must be doing it for themselves because it rarely works. Now, I don't think you get worse service from me. You just get standard service when you're like that. Just standard service. I try not because I know really going too above and beyond are not going to, you're not going to get anything from that person. They've already decided what they're going to tip you. They decide what they're going to say about you. They don't want you to interact with you. They don't know want to know your name. They, they're sitting there and that's kind of weird when they come to the bar I always thought that was weird because you could go to a table and I can understand at a table you don't want I don't care what your name is I just want to get food and that happens at the bar sometimes people say I'm just doing this I'm just sitting here because I don't want to sit by myself at a table and I go okay I'm not hurt by that I'm not hurt by that but watch the attitude sometimes right if you're listening to this obviously you probably don't have that attitude. So, bully for you. Well, this is Jim the Keys bartender. I'd like to thank you for listening. If you like the show, and once again, if you are in Key Largo at Mile Marker 102, check out the Catch Restaurant and Bar. It's open seven days a week for lunch and dinner. Monday through Fridays, I have happy hour 3.30 to 6.30. We have great happy hour and food prices. Happy hour drink and food prices. And they do a cook your own catch. If you're out on a boat and you catch your fish and you have it cleaned and all that stuff, you bring it in and they'll cook it up any way you want. And there's plenty of selections for people that don't like seafood. So come to the catch at mile marker 102. And if you do stop in the catch, tell them that the Keys bartender sent you. Uh, Also, if you have any questions, please send your questions to Jim at KeysBartender.com. Please share the show with your friends and family or anybody, any groups that you're in, whatever. If you belong to a group, that would be nice. Uh, Thank you very much. And we'll end on this note uh, with this music I have right here. Talk to you later.